0: I'm Arthur Falls, and this time on the Internet Computer Weekly, I'm joined by Manu Drivas and Diego Prats, both of the Definity Foundation. So thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for having us, Arthur.
0: What I wanted to discuss on this episode was this idea, this proposition that the Internet computer operates at web speed. And we've mentioned this earlier on the podcast, Referring actually to Vinay Gupta, who back in the early days of communicating for the foundation was really insistent on the importance of web scale for Ethereum. And the fact that this term or this descriptor, web, as a measure of performance or scale, it's interesting to see it crop up again in the communications of DFINITY. At the highest
1: level, what we mean by web speed is that the experience that the consumers of a DAB running on the IC have is no different from what they would expect out of any other application on the web. So they can't even tell that it's running on a blockchain. That's how fast it is. Metrics-wise, that usually means that what would be considered a read or in our case, a query, is under 250 milliseconds, and that the write, what we call an update, is around two seconds. But the high-level idea is that they can't tell if it's running on a blockchain or AWS or Google Cloud or Azure. That's how fast it is.
0: So I get that. But I'll tell you what, sometimes when I log into applications, sometimes I do find they take a little bit of time to load up, be that the NNS, the Internet Identity Service. I just logged into Nuance, the blogging platform. And maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but it does take a little bit of time. So what is the difference between what's happening when I load up one of these applications and what's happening when I load up you know, just a normal website? Well, maybe to answer that first question, I guess I don't know exactly what you're referring to,
2: but of course there's a lot of room for improvement still in the Internet Computer and we can still make things faster. But the big difference, of course, with a standard website is that in the Internet Computer's case, you're in fact communicating with like 13 or even 30 different nodes across the world. So, of course, that is a bit more challenging to do that fast. But, of course, it comes with the security benefits of replication.
1: From the point of view of a consumer, and they're asking themselves, that's great, Diego, you say it's fast, but when I go to nns.ico.app, it takes like four to five seconds to load up the website. What's up with that? And I can probably point to a few other ICDEP examples. There's usually three reasons why it's not as fast as people expect it to be. The first reason is that there are a lot of application layer or website optimizations that honestly have not been done for the NNS app and a bunch of other dApps that are exactly what you would find in any other application. So there's a lot of like just general low level application, just performance optimizations that need to be done there. The second reason is that for the particular apps like the NNS app, the way it currently works, you have to download a lot of data up front. And then after that, it's like pretty snippy, but you have to download a lot of data up front. That's not necessarily a requirement of an IC dap. It's just a requirement of that DAP. And third, as Manu was saying, is there are, of course, still optimizations that can be done to make the internet computer faster, also based on location, to where you are around the world. The more nodes there are, the closer a node is to you.
0: So what's happening behind the scenes that makes this different from a traditional website? In addition to replication, like what does that look like? And I guess also, can we contrast that with something like Ethereum, which is another distributed computing platform slash blockchain?
2: I think one important difference is that on the internet computer, the smart contracts that we have, the canisters, can hold quite some data themselves and can directly serve that to users. So. I think what you sometimes see on other platforms is that like, the core of a dApp is running on a blockchain, but not like the front-end, not the user-facing stuff, not the HTML and the JavaScript that then comes from some more centralized hosting platform or so. And in the internet computer, you can host these things directly from the blockchain. That is, I guess, enabled by the fact that we have these queries, as Diego mentioned earlier, that allow you to directly read data. And of course, the fact that storing data on the internet computer is cheap compared to other blockchain platforms.
0: Right. And so when we talk about cheap, I mean, this is something that is materially different, right? Like,
1: yeah, just to put it into context for the listener's mind, let's say it costs around $5 a year, around-ish, plus or minus to host a gigabyte of data on the internet computer. So if you include the front end of a website, for example, maybe has a, few megabytes to tens of megabytes plus data of the users. But just pretend to context, if you were to do it on Ethereum, it would cost you hundreds of millions of dollars to store a gigabyte for a year. (laughs) So it's not even a practical possibility. It's one of those examples where it's like theoretically possible, but practically not a solution people would use it for.
0: Okay, this is great because we're actually narrowing this down to a kind of a cost envelope, right? Because... To store a gigabyte of data on, say, Dropbox, you know, it's a matter of cents per year. So, what is the difference in the nature of storage on the internet computer and the nature of storage on Dropbox, say, that makes it worth so much more? Obviously, it's <laughs> you know, Ethereum costs twenty US dollars, you know, to just update a database, right? Like, it's phenomenally expensive to submit data to the Ethereum blockchain, but we're focusing on web speed, web scale, web performance. So what is the qualitative difference in internet computer storage and Dropbox storage?
2: I think one key advantage is that I mean, we've already seen on Ethereum, for example, how powerful smart contracts can be, right? You can do all sorts of amazingly cool stuff like DeFi already today on Ethereum. But I mean, this cost is like prohibitive for a lot of use cases, right? And If you can use data in the size of gigabytes then even if it's more expensive than dropbox you can now combine that with the power of smart contracts and use that in your dApps and i think you know there we really unlock some of the potential of
0: smart contracts so essentially we're looking at something that has comparable to web or close enough to web performance in terms of cost and speed but at the same time has a lot of the properties of Ethereum being that it is a blockchain. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing that makes it essential, right, is the reverse gas model because this is alien to your blockchain users but is the expectation of a traditional web user.
1: That's right. That's right. So just to set into context with Ethereum, which is a good lingua franca, a good context, in order to interface or to use a DApp or smart contract, Typically, the user pays, which means that the user pays to interact with smart contract. Now, what that means, practically speaking, for most of the time in Ethereum, is that the user has a browser plugin, like Metamask, and they pay with ETH to interact with that DApp. That is inhibiting to a lot of DApp usage, to be honest with you. It's not as simple as in the traditional web where I could send you a URL and you can get YouTube. Imagine if the early days of YouTube... How viral would it have been if you had to like go to a URL and then uh, install a browser plugin and then start paying to use YouTube? YouTube probably would not have been as viral. So the Canister Pays model is one where the developers creating the Canister, the smart contract, can load up the Canister with Cyclos, and they can pay on behalf of the user or the consumer so the consumer doesn't have to worry about it, which makes sense for a lot of app developers who just want to get their app some traction. That's their goal. They want to get the absent traction. They want to remove as much friction. Uh, A lot of things you'll hear today are about unlocking, removing friction. That's kind of the the running theme in the design of the internet computer. We like smart contracts. We love smart contracts. We see the potential for them. Let's unlock their potential.
0: So now that we've got smart contracts behaving in a similar way to traditional web storage processing and, say, applications, what does this enable? What is qualitatively different about the applications we can build with this kind of system than with the traditional?
2: I think it's hard to predict what kind of cool stuff people can build with this. One example that we see already today is like in the space of NFTs, where you can now see that everything is fully on-chain, which is not always the case. So I think that's a nice small step improvement. But yeah, I think it's really hard to predict. I guess DeFi lends itself well to like Ethereum because it's only working with you know like small numbers and no large files. I find it hard to predict what the next step would be if you can give smart contracts much more storage and computational power. But I'm sure people are going to come up with
0: exciting use cases. I suppose that is the big difference between the internet computer and Ethereum is that Ethereum is dealing with very large numbers and very small files. And the internet computer is dealing with very large files, but much smaller numbers. Right.
1: Well, it's hard to predict the long term. We are seeing some patterns emerge. For example, one pattern is, so if you look at DEXs, uh, decentralized exchanges, or any kind of DeFi application, if you are really believer in DeFi and smart contracts, at some point you start to wonder, hmm, 90% of my code is actually living in AWS, in a centralized provider can't I move that 95% to a decentralized blockchain? It's like, oh, you know what? I already have my smart contract running on these. Instead of having the website load up from uh, Netlify or Cloudflare, AWS, right, how about I have it load up from the IC? That's something that's like a pattern that's emerging, right? Because at least you already are believing blockchain. You're believing in security and smart contracts. So might as well move that 95% over as well.
0: I mean, in the way you describe it, this is a evolution in the pre-existing blockchain or smart contract application design pattern. Can we talk a bit about how the internet computer serves the web? And when I say that, I mean like specifically down to URLs, IP addresses, this difficult kind of stuff. Because these are things that I feel like we sort of understand as laymen, but ultimately, you know, I find myself talking about these things When, truthfully, I don't know what I'm talking about.
2: Uh, I can take a stab at it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the first part is that we have this concept of queries, which is, I think, something that's not commonly used in the blockchain space. Typically, people talk about transactions, which are what we call like the update calls, which means they go into the blockchain, we agree on it, and... That means they need to reach all the machines in the world and therefore they're relatively slow, right? So this is what takes some seconds for us. And so in a lot of blockchain systems, you can read if you were to have the entire blockchain. But that is a big task because these blockchains are very large. And in the internet computer, you have what's called queries in which you can even securely get small pieces of data out of the internet computer, out of the blockchain, without needing to have everything. You don't need to have all of it. And so this is what's used to read data efficiently from the Internet computer. And that's also what we use to load front ends like the websites. And then concretely, so how does it work? Well, you have these domain names which contain the canister ID. So currently, this routes you to a boundary node. And the boundary node forwards you to one of the right machines that powers the subnet that holds that canister. That is basically where the query call is made. And then you get an answer, which if it's a certified query, you can actually verify. Yeah, and that makes its way into your browser, and then you can look at a nice
0: website. Okay, so I feel like we've gone from explain like I'm five to, (laughs) I mean, it's not quite the PhD level, but it is a little bit more complicated. So when we talk about the canister address being in the URL, when I go to discover, right, I get this massive honking um, URL. That goes h five a e t hyphen w quadruple a hyphen quadruple a b hyphen q a a m q. It goes on, and then it goes dot raw dot ic zero dot app. What's going on with that? Like, can we break down the content of that URL? Okay, well, ultimately, <laughs> I don't know all the details of that part.
2: So the first part is the canister ID, right? So When you type in discover, I think they just forward you to this domain. So the actual ID of discover is this H5 AET and a lot more stuff. And so I think some part of the rest of the domain ends up with a boundary node, as mentioned earlier. And now that boundary node can see, of course, the canister ID you're asking for, knows where to find it, and yeah, forwards the request to the right place.
1: It might be helpful if we alternate comparing between the centralized world and the decentralized world for a second there. So in the traditional world, if you go to your browser and you type in reddit.com, the browser takes the word reddit.com, and then it doesn't go to Reddit because this is the first time going to Reddit. It has no idea where Reddit is. So the browser goes to a DNS. It asks the DNS, what is the IP address of reddit.com? And you're like, what's the DNS? Well, now we've got this new thing. <laughs> well, the browser knows how to talk to the DNS, the, the domain name service, and it asks it, given the word reddit.com, what's the IP address of it? Because reddit.com may have many IP addresses. The DNS gives it an IP address, and then now the browser knows the right IP address. So if I type in uh, google.com, the browser asks the DNS, where's google.com? And then the DNS will return an IP address. So like, here's the IP addresses for google.com that you can try. That's a reasonable way to simplify the traditional world, revenue. Right, yeah, I agree. Now, in the internet computer, you have a similar paradigm, which is that your canister has an address, which is unique to it. It's not an IP address. It's different. The IP address is something that happened at the lower level. But the, your canister is just kind of moving in the blockchain and has an address, analogous to an address, which is the, the this long ID. So when your browser, you put in the IC uh, URL, you put them into a the URL, it asks a boundary node, hey, where is this canister? Is it running in a machine in Zurich? Is it running in a machine in San Francisco? Is it running in a machine? Now, because the blockchain, it's actually running on many machines at the same time. So the boundary node, we usually say redirect, but it's a fancy word for like, it gives it the IP addresses in which set of machines that canister is running. And then the browser can query those machines. And that's what happens. So it's very analogous to what you would see in a traditional website. Actually, less familiar, maybe in the knows more, what happens when somebody accesses an Ethereum smart contract. I actually know this like an Ethereum name service, but I'm not certain if it's the same process, which is the browser queries a name service, and the name service gives it an IP address. Is it the same thing for Ethereum dApps? Or is it a little different or more complicated?
0: Oh, the way it works with Ethereum is that you connect to a website. The website has an API that connects to Infura, most likely, which hosts a whole bunch of Ethereum nodes. Right,
1: right, 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 right. Yeah, so let's just walk through what we wanted to simplify. So let's walk through it. You go to a website, but where is that website? That website, let's call it (laughs) Arthur.com, is not on Ethereum, right? To your point. Arthur.com is not Ethereum. That JavaScript HTML is hosted on AWS. And then so it. The domain service, arthur.com, it gives it back an AWS IP address. Your browser loads it, and then it knows to ping the right Ethereum smart contract. It brings a FURA, which is its own separate thing, and then it actually gets to the right Ethereum address. What we wanted to do in the IC is to just kind of go back to the basics, just make it as simple as it is in traditional web.
0: Well, I think that's a pretty apt description. I'd add to that that what happens is that the and Fiora either queries its archival node of the Ethereum blockchain if we're querying or it creates and submits a transaction on behalf of the website. We've covered most of what we were talking about. We've talked about web scale, what it means and how interfaces are served. Is there anything else we should cover? I think we've covered the most important points. Of course, there's a lot more we can talk about, but maybe we should save some for the next episode. Let's have another episode then where we talk about the canister model, more specifically, the NNS, and then how that translates into the service nervous system. There's been talk about this, but I don't really fully understand the vision. Let's put it that way. So self-servingly, I'd like to talk to you guys about it. Sounds good. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining me, Manu and Diego. It's been a pleasure, always is. And we'll have a call again in the not too distant future.
2: We'll do it. Thanks, Arthur.
0: Thanks for listening. The Internet Computer Weekly is part of a larger effort at education, governance and community building we are calling the Cycle DAO. We host a follow target neuron, which is controlled by the voting members of the DAO. This membership is composed of investors, enthusiasts, developers, entrepreneurs and some ex definity folks. We monitor the Definity forum discussions of NNS proposals and also use community surveys and one-on-one discussions with ecosystem participants to inform our decisions. You can find instructions to follow the Neuron at cycledao.xyz. That's C-Y-C-L-E-D-A-O dot We have additional content and discussions of our voting decisions in the blog section of the same. If you stumbled across this podcast online, you can subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or any good podcast aggregator. You've been a fantastic audience. Please tune in next week for more great discussions.